This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Jouar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouar, and today is Wednesday, February 12th, 2020, where the day after Samsung Unpacked, and my guest is Chris Davies of Slashgear. Hi, Chris. How are you? Hey, Miriam. I'm very good. How are you? I'm great. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I know it's a busy week for all of us, so thanks for that. Always a pleasure. Wonderful. So you've had a little bit more interaction with the Samsung products than I have. I went to Unpacked. I tweeted like a storm. It was wonderful during the show. And then afterwards, I got a brief amount of time in the hands-on area with the harsh lights. And I've got a couple of YouTube videos that are going to be published by the time people listen to this show. Uh, but you were uh, pre-briefed, so you got a chance to get a little more information. And that's kind of why I wanted you on the show, or at least somebody that had had some insight on some of the crazy technology, especially around the cameras and around the, the 5G stuff. Because mm-hmm. the thing that blew me away the most, I didn't actually know from the rumors, it hadn't really sunk into me, that we would see three phones with 5G that would support 5G for all carriers. But it turns out there's a caveat, right? So let's talk about that in due time. Yes. I want to know what you think of the Galaxy Z or Z Flip before we do anything else. Let's talk about that one. I think it's really interesting. Um I mean, obviously, we you, know, you can't really talk about foldable phones without mentioning that Samsung's first attempt did not exactly go to plan um, <laughs> when they initially launched it uh, early last year. Um, but then they came back and they'd redesigned parts of it. And, you know, it has, by all rights and intents, been a lot more successful, albeit, you know, still very niche because it is hugely expensive. Um, and so this kind of feels like Samsung has taken away a lot of the learnings that they had from that whole fold debacle and and put it into something which is, whilst not mass market ready, because it's still like $1,400, um, but definitely something closer to that point. I think you're right. I felt very uh, much like this is a Gen 2 product with the level of polish you expect from a Gen 2 product. Um, but I think the price is kind of a non-issue. And I, I tell you my theory behind that, at least in North America, it's all subsidized these days, right? I mean, the reality is I want to advocate for people to buy unlocked phones, absolutely. And I think the mid-range and even the $300 phone, and I want to say the mid-range today, I mean the OnePlus, the $500 range, the mm-hmm. affordable flagship range is what I call it. But the th- even the $300 range, I think has some very interesting products, but nobody's buying them. Or at no. least if you talk to Timo, for example, who carries OnePlus, they are focused primarily on the really high-end OnePlus products because they found that they're just not selling the cheaper ones as much. And so I think this is the subsidy effect. I think that if you buy a phone on contract and you have to pay, it's about $1,000 normally, and you have to pay, say, $40, $40 a month, but now it's $50 a month, you know, two more espressos, as it were, <laughs> um, why would you care if it's $1,400 retail at that point? You know what I'm saying? I think, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a good point. I think the, the US market in particular is still very much wedded to this idea of um, a subsidized device. Um, I think maybe because 
traditionally perhaps the you know devices on one carrier haven't necessarily worked with a different carrier and so you, there's there's been this feeling that you know you you buy into not just the phone but the carrier and you're sticking with that and it's you know you just do it all through that one carrier so yeah i think you're probably right and i think that this will definitely ease the way into foldable ownership um especially seeing as samsung definitely is pushing the the z flip a lot more it would seem than than it did with the fold the fold was kind of like a halo device the z flip that really trying to get it out there and position it as like you know this is just the next thing and you want to be in on this early yeah and i also feel that their demographic is is much broader this time around right the 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 fold was really like early adopter tech savvy you know heavy phone big phone even fold it was big and heavy and you know we're not quite sure like it's it's kind of like the first note remember we're going to throw mm-hmm. this dart at the wall and hope it hits the target a little bit and see what develops from it and we've all seen that you know i think um i mentioned this on a podcast recently but there was a review on Ars Technica of the fold from Aron Amadeo and it was very damning but mm-hmm. he had a really good point and i feel it's like even if you're open up the fold and you use it try to use it as a tablet it's not really a good use case because android doesn't do tablet mode very well right right so i feel I that think, this yeah. this yeah. form factor which is basically the 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 razor death ray is what i'm going to call the <laughs> the z flip now uh, uh because it's like i feel bad for moto almost because this is much better cheaper and it seems uh to you know have the clout of the marketing machine behind samsung so Absolutely. how do you feel first of all as about the product purely in the samsung ecosystem as the second foldable that is not a tablet when it's open but it's just a phone when it's open versus the, the greater scheme of it which is like how does it fit into the ecosystem of the entire mobile universe well, I think it's it's quite interesting that already, even in what is still a very kind of new segment of foldable devices, that we do have like two different strategies there. You know, on the one hand, you do have, like you say, the original fold, which was it is a phone that unfolds to a small tablet. And then on the other hand, you get have phones like the Razer, like the new Z Flip, which are regular sized phones when they're open that we are kind of familiar with, but then that close down to something much more pocket friendly. Um, and I feel like the latter is a lot easier to understand, maybe. Yes. You know, because people want a big screen and once you try a big screen, it's very rare that you then decide, well, I'm going to go back to something smaller. If, you, if you've experienced that kind of six plus inches, then, you know, it's kind of like it's hard to then say, well, okay, I'm going to go back to something more like five inches or five and a half. People don't, generally don't do it. And it, I mean, just speaking personally, you know, once I started going to those larger screen devices, suddenly I stopped using the tablets I had. And, you know, exactly. the few Same times that I... The few times that I go to pick one up, the battery's dead because I just haven't used it. So I use it so infrequently that it kind of it just becomes a something that just sits on a coffee table gathering dust and getting covered with magazines. Um, <laughs> My Nvidia Shield was the first big victim for me. Yes, I, I had and one. I, think, I used it a lot, and then I got a big phone. It was just like that tipping point, and then I stopped using it. Absolutely, and I and so I think that there is that. Whilst the idea of a phone that opens up into a tablet is definitely appealing to some people, um, like you say, you know, like that Ars Technica review said, Android as a tablet operating system isn't great. And and so it's a lot easier to kind of pitch this idea of, well, we're, you know, we have a phone, which is all the things you like about a big screen S20, but can close down and suddenly become something which is a lot more 
sort of user friendly in terms of you know the times when you're not actually using the phone you just put it in your pocket into your bag into a small purse you know it's it, i think i think that makes a lot more sense and it's a lot easier to pitch that yeah i feel like um the demographic is interesting here because there's going to be still the tech savvy early adopters right because we're like oh this is this might be the right fold the, the first properly done folding mm-hmm. phone right and then i think that um they're kind of you know with some of the features we're going to discuss, they're really kind of putting it in a in a more mainstream kind of vibe. And then, because as you said, it's more accessible because it's really just a phone that folds in half, not something that's trying to be a tablet in its spare time. Um, right. And and on top of that, I feel like I, I hate to say this as a woman in tech, but I really feel like I didn't really want to buy this thing in terms of the argument of this looks like a compact. But now mm-hmm. that I've used it. I'm sorry to say this looks like a compact, <laughs> and um, but it's 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 got this really good vibe to it. Like I felt like it had it had a Samsungness to it, but mm-hmm. also a bit of an Appleness to it in its industrial design and vibe. Like the the round rect, you know the yes. the aspects of it is much more mm-hmm. Apple than Samsung. But of course, that weird Samsung logo on the hinge is very Samsungy, and then. Yes. Um, and then yes, it it does open and close a lot like a compact. Um, the biggest thing for me that stood out was that the hinge can be opened at any angle, and and there's a lot of features that come along with that. So it's not like the razor where the idea is that you flip it open, you flip it close, and it's spring loaded, and it's very much the same experience you had with a flip phone. Mm-hmm. This is more like a laptop in in many ways. Uh, the mechanism, the hinge, the feel of it. And then it doesn't close perfectly flat. There is a gap, but it's much less pronounced than yes. on the and the fold was, and a bit more pronounced than the razor, which is not supposed to have a gap, but actually most of the ones I've played with have a tiny gap. They um, do. So that's to me kind of like the takeaway on the design. And I think that what really got me excited is that this is a thin layer of glass on top of the plastic OLED that folds. How the hell is that possible? Did they tell it's, you anything about this? They no. They they have been playing that whole thing very close to their chest, um, and it it does seem fairly magical. But I think that, that is part of the reason that it it feels like we're taking another big step closer to the mainstream. Because you know I've lived with a fold, and there is that kind of fear of the plastic OLED breaking right you know, obviously right. this is something that they had issues with to begin with they took it away they came back but you know the, the the nature of a plastic display is that when you have to when you when you first open it up there's a warning there saying you know maybe don't use your fingernail too hard on uh-huh. this and you're like well i've just spent two thousand dollars on a phone should, should i have to worry about that yeah, right and and just that feeling of going and then to the Z Flip and it and you know you open it up and it kind of just feels like a regular phone display because of that glass. When you and touch I think, you know, obviously, it, sorry. it's yes. very different. I noticed it right away, even though I didn't get a phone myself. I played with enough of them, mm-hmm. and just recently I was in Chicago, so I got to play with the Razer again at Moto, and it's it's immediately noticeable. But it still flexes, but not in this like um you know packing tape way. Like yes. it, it flexes more in this um, plastic cup way. You know, like what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, it's it, it's a very hard thing to describe, but um, but it just gives you that feeling that this is a little bit more resilient. This is going to last. This is going to kind of hold up to daily life, which I think that 
neither the fold nor the razor kind of give that sort of sense of reassurance. And it does have a crease. It's very obvious that there is a disturbance in the optical force. Yes. In the middle yeah. of that display. But it doesn't, I don't think it bothers me as much. It's interesting that the razor doesn't have that, at least as pronounced on the units I've seen. I don't know after six months it might have it. But the, you know, Samsung doesn't seem to make any excuses about it. They're like, we're just going to do this. It's going to be part of the design. And what I think it is, as this is my engineer kind of backfiring in the back of my head, but uh, my engineer self says that they probably, the if it's folding glass, if it's what Corning's been working on mm -hmm. or someone else, it is pre-stressed um, glass. So it's probably the creases we're seeing are the, the, the pre-designed curves in the glass that are kind of the default position, if you want, right? Um, and that's what we're seeing, unlike before, where in the plastic, what we're seeing is just generally natural wear of the creases of the plastic. I feel like that, I mean, whilst I understand people's kind of obsession with that crease, I, I don't kind of have any real concern with it myself. I feel like if you are using a foldable phone, then, you know, there is probably going to be some evidence of where the, the fold is. My my concern would only ever be, is, does that feel sturdy and resilient enough to kind of to last? So I don't know, maybe somewhere down the line, we will have foldable displays that don't have a crease at all, but it's kind of not really near the top of my must-have list yeah, it, to, to kind of do away with that. It didn't bother me at all when I was using it. It's seems less pronounced than on the fold and definitely more visible than on the razor, but... I'd rather have a glass layer here that I know is, you know, going to be feeling better on my finger is really, th that's the first thing that I felt. I guess this is, if we had to summarize the description of the diff how it feels, it it feels a lot more like a normal phone when you mm -hmm. touch it and a lot yes. less like a, a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that part of the reason that people are concerned about the crease is that it, it gives you this fear that this is going to be the point where it will fail. And I yeah. think that the knowledge that the glass is there maybe kind of means that you're saying, okay, well, the, the crease is there, but there's glass here. So it's kind of less of an issue there. You know, I'm, I'm less concerned that failure is just around the corner. And they put some brushes, fabric brushes inside the hinge to brush out any or prevent any particles from getting inside it, which I think is interesting. Yeah, just that whole, anything with moving parts, you know, obviously is going to present a challenge because, you know, moving parts are extra points of uh, potential damage, extra points where, you know, something could break. You know, the, there is a reason that kind of phones have all coalesced around this sealed, waterproofed candy bar, no headphone jack, so that, you know, it makes it easier to seal up again, no removable battery. Yeah. Manufacturers like simple designs that don't have moving parts. Um, and so, yeah, I think that we are still very much in that kind of exploratory phase. Yeah. Um, with hinges um but yeah it's yeah it's, i think it's really exciting and i think that one of one of the things i liked about it was that it kind of embraces that hinge in a way with the software you know when like you were saying that you you can adjust the hinge to kind of it will hold at any angle like a laptop lid right. when you open up the razor you just get like a full screen android experience it looks like a big screen android phone with the with the z flip you know if you open it part way 
and you're using the camera, for instance, you know, and you, you you prop it up at the screen halfway, then the kind of the camera UI sort of slides around almost like liquid kind of just settling into a different layout so that you have the preview display at the top and a, a control panel, a panel at the bottom. And I, there's something nice about the way it does that, that kind of encompasses the hinge and says, you know, that this is a foldable device, so we can do things slightly differently there. Yeah, and it, it looks like they worked with Google on some stuff because YouTube is supported in that mode. So just to explain a little bit more for the audience, if you put it in an L shape, like a perfect right angle, um, I mean, you don't have to be at a perfect right angle, but in that general vicinity, if you put the the phone down with the the bottom flat and the the, 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 the other half sticking up, um, you basically can do time lapses with the camera. Like you can use it as a tripod as such because the, the dual camera, which is on the lid, is now facing backwards. You can also use it for selfies um, because the front camera is facing you. Mm-hmm. And you, as you said, the viewfinder becomes square and the the part that's on you know on the table basically um the flat part is going to be the controls and then they have the same for youtube so you can actually watch youtube videos like this if you want use the phone as a kickstand basically by halving the screen size in essentially so it's a small video it's basically like watching portrait mode uh youtube landscape videos in portrait mode but I think for a lot of content nowadays which is square or vertical I think it's going to work pretty well uh, especially for you know folks who are constantly on Snapchat or Instagram stories or Facebook stories, which I think a lot of people are. So I think it's interesting. It's very novel that they came up with this idea. And then I mm-hmm. think that what I like too was that the outside display is really small. So one inch AMOLED color, but they're unlike Moto. They they don't really they didn't really like push this idea of the external screen too much. I like, yes, you can accept and refuse calls. You can tell the time, you can see who's calling, you can have notifications pop up, but we don't expect you to interact with this very much. Right. Right. And I think that it's, uh, you know, this is something that you're obviously going to be opening and closing a lot because, you know, that external display, if you, okay, a text can come in and you, it will scroll across like a ticker tape, but you're not going to want to like read an entire long-winded message on that tiny external. Oh, there's display. no it's way just, you're going to do anything. On no, that. so I, so it's it really is just a, you know, oh, I have something coming in, you know, and and it's to let you know what it's going to be before you open it up. I think people are going to definitely be opening and closing that that a lot. But I think just like the razor, this is going to have a, this is going to be a difficult phone to open one-handed. Um, you know, and that's going to be a challenge for a lot of people because, you know, if you're walking down the street and your phone vibrates in your, say, in your handbag um, and you're trying to reach in there, you get the phone, no problem. You can find that with your hand without looking. But at that point, you now have to stop, probably stop walking, use both hands to open it because I tried one handed a few times and I would drop that thing in two seconds <laughs> flat. You can definitely do it, but it is not, if you're expecting like a flip phone, like, you know, the old razor days where, you, you know, you would just slip your finger in a thumbnail well, in and kind of just the inertia of your hand, right? Like, clunk, yeah, that's it not does, gonna it, happen. It does not work like that. And so you can open it and you can close it one-handed, but it is, um, it is not the most ergonomic of things to do, no. And I think that's an issue that needs to be addressed by the manufacturers because Moto has the same issue uh, with the razor. It doesn't open and close like you expect a razor to open and close. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, that's a bit of a bummer, honestly. But hey, I mean, that's the price of progress, I guess. 
Uh, I suppose so. Maybe maybe they shouldn't have called it a flip because the flip does make you think that you can just flip it open, whereas really it's a you know prizing opener. They should yeah. have called it the the Z oyster or something. And um, Z is interesting too because I feel like it's more of an L or or a V or yeah. a V. You know, so I guess the Z line is a whole new line. Um, yeah, I think and... it's I think it's supposed to be a nod to um, Generation Z. I see. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. young people. Ah, oh, young people today, Chris. Oh, oh my god. Don't goodness. get me started. I know. Yeah. Uh, I've got to go up and shout at a cloud, yeah. <laughs> I know. We should do that over coffee. And then we can weep yes. in our coffee like yes. we always weeping. do. Weeping, absolutely. Just and, constant weeping at And clouds. just like, you know, brandish our canes into the sky. <laughs> um, <laughs> boy. Okay, so um, the other couple of things that I think I wanted to touch on is that there is a SIM slot and an eSIM on the mm-hmm. Z Fold. I'm sorry, I'm I'm gonna say Z. I know some people are gonna say Z. Um, because I'm Canadian, I could say either really. Um, but I think the Z Fold is interesting because it beats Moto on so many layers in some ways, technically speaking, right? And that's kind of what I think is interesting. Uh, that. You know, you can tell Moto's design has been in the works for way longer. I think that, yeah, the, there was a sense when Motorola announced the Razer of, okay, well, there are some hardware compromises, you know, the, it's eSIM only, the battery isn't huge, the camera isn't great, the processor isn't like the fastest flagship one. But it was almost a sense of, well, okay, this is just what is possible with a foldable form factor that is that kind of size. You know, if you want a large a regular screen phone that folds down into something which is half the size of that then i guess this is the compromise that the current level of technology is that we you know and we will just have to accept that but and then all of a sudden samsung comes along and says well no hang on you know, I can, <laughs> we can fit in a in a, a regular sim slot and sim you know we can put a, a much more impressive processor in there we can give you dual cameras on the front it's yeah it's it's a real you know, Motorola, I think they they had that opportunity, a very narrow window, which then narrowed even further because they, you know, they delayed the launch of the, the handsets. And the, it's, yeah, it's very hard to imagine telling someone, yes, you should go for that Razer over the, the Samsung. I, I feel that Moto's issue here, I mean, there's, you know, Moto PR is uh, running into some issues and challenges with the, the Razer launch. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly why. Uh, they were so gung-ho in November when we saw the product uh, hands-on. And yep. then now that it's launching, it's impossible to get a review unit. And, you know, Samsung PR has also been very challenging over the years. And I'm sure it's going to be really hard to get a Z Flip review unit for those of us who are not, you know, the Engadgets and Verges and CNETs of the world. But I think it's interesting to me that you can kind of tell the age of these phones. You can carbon date these phones almost <laughs> by the the spec sheet, right? Like you can tell that the Z Flip was in development a year ago and, you know, finalized in the fall and it's out now. Whereas the Razer was in development two years ago, you know, finalized in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, because as you said, specs, right? Like by all practical measures, the Z Flip is a Galaxy S10e, right? Yes. Uh, with a Snapdragon 855 Plus instead of regular 855, 8 gigs of RAM, 256 gigs of storage. Mm-hmm. We've got cameras. Oh, yeah, they're dual 12 megapixels, just like the S10e. That's why I brought it up. There's a yes. main camera that's just the regular, and then there is a 
ultra wide. And mm-hmm. so that's actually really nice because Samsung cameras are pretty decent on the yep. S10 series. And now you're getting that on a flip phone. As we know, the, the Razer's camera just doesn't really live up to that. So No, no. It's, yeah, I think I, I like that there is that lack of compromise. You know, if, if, you, if you want a foldable phone, you don't have to then sacrifice on the features. It doesn't have to feel like a phone with the specs of a device from two years ago or whatever. Yeah, and and also, you know, like the battery size, 3,300 milliamp hours, you know, that's standard fare for a small flagship from 2019, right? Yeah. I it's mean, on the small size, but still manageable. I think, you know, if you compare it to obviously to the S20, you know, which starts out with a 4,000 milliamp hour battery, which, you know, is obviously significantly bigger, but, you know, that has 5G, which the, the Z Flip doesn't. Exactly. So, I mean, 5G is going to be more power demanding. For sure. And it's a good point to make that it doesn't have 5G. But I'm glad to see it has a SIM slot because I feel like, you know, Moto's mistakes for the last few years is being that they are always in bed with Verizon. And I understand that long-term relationship and partnership they've had, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a hindrance at this point more than anything else. You know, I feel like not putting a SIM slot on the Razer was partially dictated by lack of space. Uh, but partially probably dictated by Verizon. Let's make this yes. very difficult to use on another network. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I asked them about how to provision the eSIM on that phone. If you're not on Verizon, if you buy it up front on Verizon, you wait the 60 days for it to unlock, mm-hmm. and then you decide to put it on T-Mobile, which, as you know, provisions eSIMs all the time. Yeah, They basically told me that, well, it doesn't support the right bands anyway, so it's not going to work. And I'm like, wow. Like, this is a Qualcomm chip, folks. Like, this is just weird to me. Yeah, Yeah, I think that it's it's it really just narrows down the audience, the potential audience for the Razer. You know, you have to be someone with a budget. You have to be someone who likes the form factor. You have to be someone who is willing to kind of deal with the compromises of a cutting edge phone. And then you have to be someone who is willing to to commit to Verizon. And yeah, and that's a tough the, one. So um, do yeah. we know what networks the Z Flip is going to be sold in the US? I don't know if they've confirmed that. I believe it just has all of the general bands. Um, so it's just I, unlocked, basically. I, yeah, I think that, you know, Samsung will be offering an unlocked version. There will be carrier versions, and it, they ju- they are just going for doing the normal Samsung thing of going for as many markets as possible, I think. And that's kind of smart, I think. You know, that's... I like it. I'm I'm happy about that. Um, the selfie camera is 10 megapixels, basically also the same thing as a S10 series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, it's an S10 in many ways uh, with a folding display. It's a 6.7 inch display though, 21 by 9 aspect ratio. So it's a pretty tall, narrow, tall and thin. Yes, and it looks great. It's AMOLED in all the ways that Samsung makes gorgeous displays. Probably not as good as the Note series or the S20, which we're about to talk about, but yeah. Yeah, I think it it checks off a lot of the boxes that people have been waiting for to think, well, is this something that I'd like to maybe get into? Um, You know, is is it time to consider a foldable? And I think that there are still going to be plenty of people who will decide, no, you know, let's see what 2021 brings. But I think for the people who make this their first foldable experience, I think they're going to be, you know, from my limited time, relatively limited time with it, I think they are going to be happy. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel very good about it. But then again, yeah. I did feel pretty good about the Razer when I first saw it. And now, you know, it's we've seen the initial launch. It hasn't gone yes. quite as planned. So <laughs> no. um, 
let's keep our fingers crossed. I want I want people to have form factor choices. I want this mm. folding stuff to go away simply because uh, the first few launches are um, perilous, you know? Right. So I'm rooting for everyone here. I just want everybody to know, Moto, Samsung, keep at it. Others come to into the fray and party with us. Yes, exactly. Um, let's talk about the S20 line. Let's maybe quickly bullet point the common features. I mostly want to focus on the S20 Ultra for the cameras, mm -hmm. but I also want to start, before we even talk about the specifics on the three phones, I want to talk about something that you wrote about because you probably have more to share with us. It's the the 5G story. To me, what <laughs> kind of blew my mind, and intuitively I knew this would eventually happen, but I didn't think it was going to be the S20, was that this is the first phone, at least in the US, that's 5G across the board. And I thought it was all bands 5G, like millimeter, mid-band, low-band on all three, but it turns out it's actually only millimeter wave on some of the phones. So... Still, I don't want to. I don't want to be negative about it. I think this is really exciting. I think five G is a big deal, especially when you use low band mm -hmm. and uh, millimeter wave. Is, of course, very spectacular, but I don't think it's the story. I think the story of five G, after having used a low band phone, the McLaren Edition One Plus on Timo for a while, is all about low band and how it just it basically it's a turbo boost on top of LTE. And it makes difference because you get better coverage and better performance in places you couldn't use your phone before. Right. So at, the, at launch, all three will have 5G and they'll all have sub-6, so the, the low-band support. Only the, the S20 Plus 5G and the S20 Ultra will have the millimeter wave support. So, But then, coming on like maybe next quarter, there will be a version, a new version of the S20, which will have... Uh, millimeter wave support apparently ah so and that's going to shape how we you know the carriers and how they which phones they offer so i believe that verizon will not be offering the s20 to begin with because it won't have the millimeter, millimeter wave support wave. that they've been pushing so hard and which gives them such you know fast 5g speeds so you'll be able to buy, buy the s20 plus and the s20 ultra from verizon and if you had an S20 that was unlocked that you bought from Samsung Direct, it would work on Verizon's network, but only in their sub-6 um, markets. Once they get that on their <laughs> yes. network, right? So, yeah. So I, I think it's going to be a little bit confusing to begin with. Um, but I think if you are a carrier customer who is going in to upgrade, you're, you will be guided to the choice which makes the most sense for your network because they will not sell you a device which doesn't make the most of the 5G offering that they currently have. Did you get a sense from talking to them about this that the versions, if you were to get them unlocked, are identical SKUs across carriers? I then, you know, if you buy a T-Mobile version and you get it unlocked, you can then take it to Verizon and the bands are there. Yes. Wow. Yes, that, that is a feat of engineering. It really is. And, I'm, and I think that, you know, we, we took for granted at sort of the tail end of the... 4G LTE era that, you know, one device was one device would work across networks. We've kind of gotten away from this idea of there is a different version of this phone that you need to make sure, you know, check the model number and say, you know, exactly which bands are supported. And then all of a sudden 5G came along and it was like, oh, no, reset on that. You know, you, you have to make sure that you have the Verizon <laughs> one that will work or the T-Mobile one. So, yeah, I think that, you know, Samsung and Qualcomm, uh, you know, deserve a lot of credit for taking away some of that confusion. And I think that we are 
very much clearly at the bleeding edge of that because, you know, with, with this issue with the S20 when it first launches, not having millimetre wave and that being corrected, you know, not long after. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it will be complicated, but it will also be fairly straightforward. So I, I don't think it's something that people need to worry about. Um, but, you know, I think that for a lot of people, even, you know, it doesn't really matter what 5G their phone will support because, you know, a right. lot of They're people just gonna buy do not... From the operator directly anyway they'll buy it from the operator and you know if they are lucky they live in an area where there is 5g coverage but i think for most people that is still not the case indeed so about unlocked versions did you mm -hmm. get any information on that is there going to be an unlocked version of the 5g phones yes there will um okay. so you wow. you will be able to just buy a 5g phone direct from samsung um or you know the usual resellers um and it will you will be able to just activate it on the the network of your choice wow this is very cool this is this is a first this is a big deal it is and i think that it, you know it kind of takes a big company like samsung or you know or an apple may, presumably later in the year you know to to do that it's yeah it's a lot of effort i mean i want to say at this point seeing how things have evolved in the last six months mm -hmm. if there is any doubt in anybody's mind that Apple is not going to launch an iPhone with 5G. You're sadly mistaken. Apple cannot not launch a phone without 5G right now. Yes, and I think that you know by the time it comes to the normal uh, new iPhone cycle later on in the year, you know, it will just be the networks will have had time to, you know, do some further maturing and people will kind of have a better idea of what to expect from 5G and the carriers will be better equipped to handle it and it will just you know, I think Apple will get to reap the rewards of, um, of this. Yeah, of, yeah, of of the Android devices kind of paving the way at that kind of somewhat awkward initial moment. Of, As of usual, we are yeah. the awkward yeah. early adopters and tech savvy. <laughs> <laughs> Someone has to be. I know. Um, so let's talk about quickly the specs and commonalities. All three phones have uh, 120 hertz displays. That's a big deal as well, right? 120 hertz, yeah, but not at the maximum resolution. Ah, oh, I did not know that. So you have to step down to 1080p for that? I believe so. I would need to double check on the uh, but yeah, I don't think it works at the very full resolution. It's a it's a there is a compromise there. That's all right. I can live with 1080p. Are all th three displays 2K? I couldn't figure that out yesterday. I believe so. Yes. That is amazing because the smaller S20 is a 6.2 inch display. 2K at 6.2 inch is a lot of resolution. I mean, I know we've had phones with smaller displays than that at 2K in the past, but I'm still like amazed by that because the S10e last year was a 1080p display, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. They, they all of the displays this year they look all look tremendous. I mean, they they you know Samsung is known for its amazing AMOLED panels, and you know this is no no exception. But they're no longer um, waterfall edges or curved edges, or very no, slightly. Yeah, Correct. and I think that I think that previously Samsung has felt obliged to offer both, like a waterfall edge and a flat edge of you know in some depending on the model. In some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think this way it just allows them to kind of standardize on it. And and it, the waterfall edge, you know, it looks nice. I don't like But it. actually, usability wise, yeah, it it doesn't really bring much. But you it's know, a it, big step for samsung to change that that's one of their brand signifiers right until at least for since the s6 anyway so yeah i i, I think that there is enough of a curve there that people will recognize it as as you know you you're not going to look at these phones and mistake them for any yeah. other companies they're devices. very samsung e yes yeah 
And then in terms of, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of other commonalities. No headphone jack. No headphone jack. Wireless charging and water resistance across the board. Yep. Do, do they all support reverse wireless charging? I think they, they do. do. Yeah. Yes. Uh, what else do we got that's common? Um, I think that's it. Then we have battery sizes. So 4,000, 4,500, and 5,000 milliamp hour for the S20, S20 Plus, S20 Ultra, right? Yep. That's right. Screen size is a 6.2 inch, as I mentioned, for the S20, 6.7 inch for the S20 Plus, 6.9 inch for the S20 Ultra. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, commonality, Snapdragon 865 or some sort of Exynos chip across the board. That's right. So if you're in the US, it will be a, the, um, the Snapdragon 865. Yeah. Yes. And then RAM is 12 gigabytes of RAM on all three models with up to 16 on the Ultra. Yes. And... 128 gigabytes across all of them, but the S20 Plus and the Ultra will offer 512 gigabyte versions as well. All right, so the two top ones offering 512, interesting. No 256, you said? Uh, no, it goes straight to 512. Um, but you get them, and all three have a micro SD slot, which will take um, a terabyte. A terabyte card. Well, I love how on stage they went like a 1.5 terabytes. I'm like, uh, only with a micro SD card, guys. Come yes. on. Yeah. That's a little much, but yeah, <laughs> that's really exciting though. Um, I mean, this is, this is some powerhouse devices. Let's talk about the camera since that's always a big distinguishing feature. And I want to spend a bit more emphasis on the ultra. So the, they all have, uh, multiple cameras. The S20 is triple camera system. The S20 plus is quad camera. I'm talking about the rear cameras here and the right. S20 ultra also had quad rear cameras. And uh, the, we're going to talk about the Ultra separately, but let's talk about the S20 real quick. The 20 and 20 Plus both have a 10 megapixel front-facing camera, which looks like to me it's about the same as it's always been for Samsung for the last mm -hmm. couple of generations, right? Right. You yeah. can't complain about that camera. It's, it's pretty competent. Yes. Um, then in the back, they, um, the S20 has a set of... 12 megapixel cameras for the ultra wide and the three times optical zoom. And then it has a 64 megapixel camera, the Samsung sensor that's been on other phones for its main camera, right? Right. So the, um, yes, yeah, so they, they use the, uh, they, they use a digital sensor crop for the lossless zoom. Um, oh, do they? So, yeah. It's not an optical telephoto. So it, the, um, the S20 and the S20 Plus, the zoom camera is actually 64 megapixels, but it will produce oh, 12 megapixel stills. 12 megapixel stills. Yes. So they have a dedicated 64 megapixel sensor that crops. Yes. Ah. So it means that they can, they can do a three times optical equivalent lossless zoom or a 30 times sort of hybrid optic zoom using AI. Interesting. Do they have OIS on the zoom and the main lens? I couldn't find any information about that. Uh, they are being cagey about that. So it is not entirely it clear. It might this point. be digital because if they're using 64 megapixel sensor, they have a ton of room to do digital, uh, real time cropping. Right. Right. So I, at least for the, uh, for the telelife. So if they're using 64 as a digital crop to 12, they can crop that and move that window around extensively and get, uh, some pretty good stabilization using digital. It's interesting, though. That means that you probably won't get that great of a light performance out of these the telephoto, right? Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm just double checking with the specs now. They are saying it has OIS for both the the wide angle and the telephoto. Oh well, then so, we go um, there. Yeah. Oh wow, and that's for both the S20 and S20 Plus then. 
Yes. Basically, the S20 Plus just has a depth sensor added to the party, right, in the back. Yeah. That's Though, it. interestingly, that's only used uh, apparently for augmented reality apps. Oh, it's not even used for focusing or anything like that. No, it's in the Ultra, it's used for focusing yeah. as well. So let's, but let's not talk the... about the Ultra in a minute, but I want to just kind of wrap my head around it. So let's summarize for the S20, S20 Plus, other than the depth sensing camera, which is on the S20 Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know if they are using any kind of tricks like multiple cameras at the same time to get better low-light performance on the telephoto, for example, using some data from the main sensor? All they will say is that they are using some mixture of, you know, the, the cameras will do their kind of own thing in the background. Um, but it's it, no, there's no kind of real specificity there as to what, you know, how that's being used. And it's no kind of specifics the... on macro modes or anything like that, right? No, okay. no. Uh, well, it should be interesting. Uh, I'm positively optimistic, but I'm mostly excited about the Ultra because the Ultra is a whole different beast, right? It is. So we have three sensors. I think I understand this a little better. I don't, I don't know about OIS, but maybe you can fill me in if you have the spec sheet. So for now, what I know is that we have a 108 megapixel main sensor Mm-hmm. that pixel bins 9 to 1. We talked about this on last show. I said, it's got to be coming. 9 to 1 makes perfect sense because the final output, 12 megapixels, right? right. You divide by 9, not by 3. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of a great technique. You're basically, instead of a, an array of 4 pixels, 2 by 2, you're doing an array of 3 by 3, so 9 pixels. And it was inevitable somebody would do this one day. So we're talking 108 megapixel, f of 1.8, main sensor that pixel bins 9 to 1 and that should mm-hmm. be a beast and then we have a get this 48 megapixel 10 times optical periscope zoom lens and i hope that thing has ois on it if it zooms that much <laughs> it then, does but i think what's interesting is that the the periscope lens actually is a four times they they're basically using a combination of um a pixel cropping on that lens and the Oh, so you don't get the whole 48. No. So it's that makes sense actually. Yeah. So it's a combination of that um of that periscope lens and of the uh, pixel cropping. So it's a four times optical zoom lens, basically. And then the 48 megapixel sensor. A lot. Like, you know, by the way, OnePlus did that on the uh, OnePlus 7 Pro. Uh, you know, it's it's they state that it's uh, three times optical zoom, but it's really a two times optical zoom with some cropping. Mm-hmm. Um, on the sensor. So um, I'm not convinced this is a good idea, but we'll see. Uh, computational photography is a thing and it does magic. So let's see what they managed to pull off, especially with an 865 driving the show, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, a 10 times lossless zoom is what they're, what they're promising. And I don't feel like most people, I, people like you are going to care about how they do that and how they deliver it. I feel like most people probably aren't really going to be bothered as to whether no, it's an optical no. thing or if it's a digital thing or or what. They will just care that they can get closer and it looks good. I agree. I'm just skeptical. I'm not saying it's not going to work. I want to embrace computational photography 100%. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, proof is in the pudding. Uh, then there's a third lens, of course, which is the 12 megapixel ultra wide. That's very much the same as the other S20s. And there's a depth sensor as well. But you're saying that they're using the depth sensor differently on the Ultra then. So the depth sensor on the Ultra is used both for kind of augmented reality apps, but also to improve the um, the autofocus. Ah, 
That makes sense. That's good. I'm surprised they're not doing that on the S20 and S20 Plus. It seems, I mean, the, the 20 Plus, which has one, not the S20. Yeah, I, there was no real reason given for why that was the case. It's just, that's, that's how Maybe they're doing it. Maybe it's a cheaper depth sensor or something. Could be. I, I, yeah, that's, a, that's another good question. Um, <laughs> did they tell you, or do you have any hard evidence that there's a YS on the telephoto and the main lens? I would assume there is. Yes, both the main and the telephoto both have OIS. Uh, and they also use um, some AI stabilization as well for kind of like a hybrid system too. Oh yeah, and you'd expect that. I think this is going to be an interesting camera system insofar that, you know, Sony has shown the way, right? The IMX mm -hmm. 586, 48 megapixel sensor that was on almost every phone last year that came out of China and uh, many mid-range phones that were really awesome, including the OnePlus 7T. Uh, and and I shouldn't say mid-range, I should say affordable flagships at this point. And mm -hmm. but Oppo had them as well, a bunch of people had them. They were they performed really well when tuned properly. The best implementation, in my opinion, was uh, the Honor 20 Pro last year. Um it it kind of combined uh Huawei's imaging might with Sony's, you know, impeccable IMX586 implementation into this ungodly performance. I you definitely by a long shot the best um, 48 megapixel based camera I used last year. So I know it's possible to really refine that. I haven't, in my experience, been too impressed with the Samsung 48 and 64 megapixel sensors so far implemented by other people. Mm -hmm. But I haven't also played with a 108 because it's on a bunch of phones now. I think it's on an Oppo or a Vivo phone at least and yeah, maybe I a Xiaomi a phone. phone. Yes. And I think it's going to come. We're going to see that sensor on a whole bunch of phones uh, yes. coming forward because Samsung's probably going to sell it. And I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Sony now has a 64 megapixel sensor. I can't remember what the number is, but I wouldn't be surprised if they follow suit because if you think about it, right, the idea between behind 48 megapixel was 48 divided by four for pixel binning gives you, as you guessed it, 12. Right, 12 is the sweet spot for output, for storage, and for mm -hmm. detail. And then yes. 108 divided by 9 is 12. So, um, you know, we're going to see more and more of those. That's what those numbers mean. That's It's because of the binning. And binning is, is absolutely a tremendous technique that Nokia, you know, started. They, they started it with the 808 PureView. Oh, yeah, all the way and back. And the, the Lumia 1020 all the way back. Mm -hmm. So... So it's interesting to note that you will be able to take 108 megapixel images. Oh my God, you will. Wow. Yes, yeah, so you can choose to set it to that if you want, or the camera will actually suggest if, if it kind of based on the, the sort of the circumstances of the photo that you're taking, it will it will suggest switch to this mode and take a full 108 megapixel shot. Though, you know, You'd you're looking at anything, some light to do that. <laughs> you would need some light, and you'll need to make sure you have plenty of storage too, because they're going to be like anywhere between twenty-five and forty-five megabytes per file. Is um, wow. what Samsung is predicting. Now, the other big news, and I know this is not ultra specific, but it's across the board. I forgot it when we talked about it earlier about the commonalities. Is eight K video recording? Yes. Kids these days, Chris. I don't know. Like, I can barely wrap my head around 4K. I still record most of my videos on YouTube at 1080p. Get off my lawn. I feel like I, I hear you. The one thing which makes me feel a lot more kind of excited about 8K video is the fact that you'll be able to take out a 33 megapixel still from it. Oh, wow. So whereas, you know, as you know, if you take like, if you try and take a photo in video mode at oh, the moment bad. with like yeah. a, a 1080p or a 4K phone... It doesn't look great. The resolution kind of, you know, it's it's 
noticeably different from like just taking a regular photo on a phone. Whereas from an 8K video, yeah, you get this 33 megapixel photo. They're talking about this going to have, you know, it has improved super steady stabilization now. So as well as sort of adjust, you know, stabilizing up and down and left and right movements, it can deal with um, rolling movements from side to side up to 60 degrees. That's cool. It's low lights improvements. uh, Low light improvements is better for super steady mode. I think all of a sudden when you're talking about kind of taking these things, video and photos kind of in tandem, then all of a sudden 8K starts to make a bit more sense to me. No, I I think it, it makes sense to me as well with the amount of storage I have on these phones. The fact that yeah. these phones have 5G, uh, have gigabit Wi-Fi, you know, all of that. And the fact that, you know, the big push at CS this year was 8K TVs. Within a year or two, we will all be able to buy 8K TVs that cost five $600. So I think that makes sense. But, you know, obviously it, it leaves the content creators uh, to struggle to create 8K content now, right? I'm talking about the Netflixes and of course the YouTube creators. Yes. Some of them are already shooting in, in you know, 8K, uh, but they use it for the resolution so that they have a 4K output so they can mm-hmm. crop and stuff and zoom. And, and you know, same with you know, some people shoot at uh, 4K just to downsample to 1080 because it gives them more panning and zooming opportunities. Yeah. So I think that I'm not against the idea of 8K. I'm just concerned that 4K seems good enough. And, you know, it's probably limited to 30 frames per second at 8K anyway. And you're going to be much more sensitive to transmission speed, storage issues, and processing, right? Like drop frames are still a thing on 4K phones. Yeah. And even on 1080p recording. So uh, I wonder how much of, you know, of an impact it's going to have. As much as I want to encourage people to create 8K content, this seems to be more of a play of like, hey, we need to sell some QLED TVs, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you will be able to do kind of both on-device trimming and downscaling to lower resolution, like on the phone itself. So I think that that will kind of make it, a, you know, you'll be able to choose basically, you know, shoot at the highest resolution possible, assuming you've got the storage for it, and then pick the kind of the best conversion that suits your your need. If you're going to be streaming it to a, an 8K QLED TV, which Samsung is going to make super simple, you know, you just have to tap the phone to the side of the frame of right. the TV and it will make a casting connection and you can stream it straight across. Or if you're going to upload it, you'll be able to upload directly from the phone to YouTube and, you know, choose whether you want to, max out your 5G pipe with an 8K video or kind of take it down to 4K for something slightly more manageable. Um, I want to see what your data plan costs are going to be when you do that. <laughs> well, I, I think that's, you know, Verizon that's and at right you know, Yeah, everyone is going to be very pleased, I think, if you make maximum use of that 5G connection in that way. Um, everyone apart from your bank account. But um, You can't say that Samsung's 5G ready because they are. They're ready to use up all your 5G bandwidth. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think actually the, the 8K for me, it kind of becomes really interesting when you look at something like single take mode. Um, right. I don't know if you had much of a chance to play with that. I did um, not. I ba- barely played with the cameras. Yeah. I think if you, you know how on Google Photos and Apple Photos, you know, it, it will take the, fo- the images and the videos that you've uploaded to automatically. And then sometimes it will just generate something interesting for you. Right. It'll like take, make you a photo with a filter maybe, or it'll create a video of something or, you know, make a funny animation of someone falling over or whatever. And it's kind of like a, you know, a surprise and delight thing. You know, all of a sudden you'll open the app up and there will be something waiting and some of them are terrible. You think, oh, God, why would I want this? And, <laughs> yes. and others you're like, oh, okay, no, I'll save this. So single take mode is kind of like that, but in real time. So ah. you, it's, a, it's a separate mode in the camera app. You switch to it. And then it's, it's kind of like you shoot video for 10 seconds. So you, you hit the button, you move the phone around. It kind of, if you're not moving around well enough, you know, 
enough that it will say, you know, oh, move it around it a bit nudges more. nudges you. Yes. And you, you can't zoom in that mode. It's just literally you point the phone around at the scene. And then as soon as you stop, it automatically creates anything from... So the minimum, they say, is two videos at most full HD resolution. The maximum will be 10 photos and four videos. And it's, for the photos, it's doing things like, you know, it's picking out best moment, like when people have their eyes open, if they're smiling. It'll do live focus, maybe. It'll do the different filters. It'll maybe crop to, to, you know, pick up what's the most interesting thing in the scene. It'll take video clips and maybe, you know, apply filters to that and kind of make loops of them. Um, It'll save, obviously, the original video as well. And it just basically, it, everything, it, all of that sensor stuff that we've just spent the past 10, 20 minutes talking about and kind of all these things that pro shooters like you are very excited about, rightly so, it kind of just kind of bypasses all of that completely. And it leaves the phone to do that. And single yeah. tech mode is just saying, okay, well, here's something which, you know, we're giving you a handful of things. Maybe one or two of them are going to, you're going to consider social media sharing ready. Totally, and, and I think yeah. that, I think it's just a really interesting way of doing it. And I, I'm, you know, I'm skeptical normally about these kind of filter modes on phones because normally they're just a bit naff. Um, <laughs> but I feel like single take mode has the potential to be a little more interesting than that. No, I feel it's kind of Zoe, but in real time. Remember Zoe from uh, HTC? Uh, yeah. Oh, and it's, yes. And it's basically a, 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 you know, part director, part curator built into your phone using mm -hmm. AI. I think it should be interesting. My concern is that it might homogenize the look and feel of people's content, you know, over time. This, this is true, but I, I mean, I think that, you know, that people have already done a very good job of homogenizing. Uh, doing that, they, yeah, because yeah, they, they're optimizing for uh, for Instagram or whatever, right? Yeah, in the people same know what share as well. Yeah. Artists are optimizing for Spotify in terms of song length and yes. patterns and, and, and an art and structure. Yeah, I know. Oh man, we're driven by the machine more and more uh, in both in both directions. The machine's mm. driving us, and us driving the machines. I think we just um, have to embrace the machine. It's Hug funny. The machine. It's interesting. Um, yeah. Something to remember when I sit on my rocking chair and yell at the children. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think we've covered everything on the on the S twenty, right? Um, we should talk about pricing really quickly. I know we kind of hinted at it on the Z Flip. Uh, $1,380 is the price of the Z Flip. Available yeah. tomorrow the 13th or the day after? Valentine's Day, the 14th. The 14th. Yeah. So available so the 14th of uh, February. I always forget that's Valentine's Day. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm so European. I don't really care about that. Um, <laughs> there is no love up, in Europe, yeah. I know, no. but I'm like, I haven't lived Only in Europe in yeah. 30 years or something. You'd think that by now <laughs> I would be on top of this. Um, this these these weird North American trends. Um, but <laughs> Like romance, yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, in terms of pricing on the S20, $9.99 for S20, uh, $11.99 S20+, plus, and $13.99 for the S20 Ultra. It's interesting there's no phone here that competes with the iphone 11 you know like the s10e last year yeah. was kind of at a sweet spot of 750 dollars. there is nothing here and i'm wondering if that's going to be the s20 light well so they're keeping the s10 range on sale um, right that's the other thing they're lowering so the price of it so if you want a headphone jacks you know what to do yeah 150 dollars being taken off um from february 11th um but so does so, Apple, right? They kept the XR around. Um, yeah. And so I'm not sure, like, it, it seems odd to me because I feel like Samsung needs a brand new phone in the S20 lineup that is competing directly with the 11 somehow. 
Yeah, I, I definitely hear. I think that they have left themselves that room to do that. And I wonder if maybe they want to make sure that that is a 5G phone and so they have to wait uh, a little bit longer in the year for, for that to become cost-effective. Maybe it should be a Dimensity 800 or 1000 phone, huh? Well, MediaTek? Maybe, uh, I, I would it. be surprised at that, doubt yes. It. But um, yeah, I think <laughs> that, that I, my, my suspicion is that it is, it is that which is holding up that kind of device. So let's rapid fire some news items before we wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, they're launching the Mi 10 on the yes. 13th tomorrow in China, and then on the 23rd during MWC and the rest of the world globally. And I'm bringing that up because 108 megapixel camera. Right? Yeah. Funny that, isn't it? <laughs> I know. And 60 watt wire charging. Are you ready for 60 watt wire charging when your power brick is bigger than your phone? Yes. I think it's, um, I, I mean, uh, faster charging is always good. But um, yeah, it, it, you do start to wonder. I mean, I, back on the Samsung thing, you know, the, the S20 Ultra supports, uh, what is it, 45 watt fast charging? Though in the oh, box, it does. Yeah, though in the box, you only get a 25 watt fast charger. You know like who you else do is with doing this? Moto's doing the same thing. Some of their phones yeah. support, like they announced this is the G series and, and some of them support like, you know, 25 watt or something. And then in the box is an 18 watt charger. And you're like, yeah, it's why? a, it, it's a very good question. Actually, no, that was the, the, Moto One Hyper supports up to 45 watt charging, has some really high number in the boxes of 18 watt charger. Wah, wah, wah. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah I suppose it's all at $300, it's price sensitive. So maybe that's why. I th- yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Once you're spending $1,400 on a phone, I, I kind of feel like they could throw in the best possible charger. They better, but, right? Yeah. But Apple doesn't, well, for a long time, didn't do that. So. No, that's true. True. Um, so this thing has like quad camera. It has Snapdragon 865. I mean, I'll link to uh, a Slash Gear kind of recap article that tells you everything you need to know. If you're a big fan of Xiaomi, you should check out the Mi 10. Uh, Xiaomi makes great phones for the money. So the big question will be the price on this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I expect it to undercut everything else, probably by $500 or something like that. It'll be, it'll be fascinating. We'll see what happens. And maybe mm-hmm. they'll go crazy and make a flagship that costs more. Maybe. Who knows? Speaking of uh, flagship phones, another leak that we've seen this uh, last week has been a leak on the LG flagship. Uh, there's rumors that there's not going to be a G9 this year, but there's going to be a V60, and we might see that MWC, and the V60 would be 5G, have a, still have a headphone jack, and apparently a massive battery. So what is your take on that? 5,000 milliamp hours, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's it doesn't seem quite so surprising now that, you know, we've uh, seeing what the S20 Ultra is going to have, it's clearly not going to be at um, at MWC because while we while we were talking, uh, the GSMA have decided to cancel the conference. So um, wow. Uh, so yeah. So that yeah. So it I knew be that at, was going to happen somehow. It it just yes. se- seemed crazy to me. Wow. It did, but um, yeah. So I mean, I I would love to have high hopes and expectations for um, the V60. I really would. I. I feel like LG's ability to to grab, to snatch defeat from the the jaws of victory is just, you know, always impressive. Um, I'd like them to, you know, I would like them to make an interesting, competitive, compelling device. And, but based on the track record of the past few flagships, I'm kind of not exactly hopeful that that's going to be what happens. Yeah, I think LG is just... 
not getting the love it needs. I feel that their phones are so, um, you know, in some ways flawed, but in other ways quite good. Like the the, the G8 camera system last year was so underrated. People mm-hmm. didn't really even try it. And then when I actually did try it, I was like, whoa, this is solid. Like, you know, we're not talking Pixel here, but we're talking better than the Galaxy, I thought at the time. You know, and I feel like they're not getting really the love they deserve. So I really hope this V60 lives up to, you know, it's, uh, it's well, there's no hype, but no, there's not going to be hype. It's LG. <laughs> no, that's but the problem. It lives up to the expectations of the LG customers. Good cameras, yes. headphone, great audio, and from the looks of it, good battery life. Uh, Snapdragon 865, so I'm excited. Yeah. This is a developing story, and I think we should jump on it really quickly. You just said MWC got canceled. I just had a mm-hmm. quick look, which is why I said the big wow a second yes. ago. Yes. And uh, oh my God, WTF. Yes, I know. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, it did seem like it was tumbling had first into that decision because, you know, over the past few days, we've just seen more and more. A lot of cancellations. Companies just saying, but I'm we're, wondering we're not, what's going to yeah. happen next. I mean, I'm still planning to go unless my sponsor pulls my travel and hotel at this point. Uh, because I'm I'm uh, being sponsored there. Uh, but my goal is that I feel like there's going to be the few people that remain if if Huawei doesn't cancel and you know Oppo doesn't cancel, etc. We might have some good press conferences that we can focus on, like announcements uh, that are because those are unrelated to MWC. MWC, you 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 can actually attend MWC without being officially part of the conference if you're media, because you can get invited to a lot of things that are happening outside of the venue, right? Right, yeah. That people kind of people know companies know that people are going to be in town for for MWC, and so they arrange kind of press conferences and things kind of offsite in at different times. And yeah, it it becomes quite a full week. I yeah, I'm very curious to see how this happens. You know how this pans out because both the public statements and stuff kind of being said privately was that you know companies were feeling very cautious about this and not wanting to be involved in a kind of coronavirus related PR nightmare. And yeah, it it's a lot of money at stake. And it, yeah, it's it's a, a very interesting time. I can't imagine that the, uh, the GSMA, which obviously runs Mobile World Congress, is, is particularly happy at the moment. But um yeah <laughs> wow i mean this is a huge deal i i feel like okay like i don't want to undermine the dangers of this illness this virus right i mean it's clearly a problem just as much as i feel like or possibly even more than sars was in 2003 but we didn't have the internet that we have today in 2003 and i feel that we didn't really know what was going on as well as we do now and so it's hard to compare SARS to coronavirus. But, you know, pandemics are a thing and we all have to concern ourselves with that and worry about it. I just feel personally that this seems a little bit of an overreaction. I'm not sure how you feel, but I mean, you know, some people like say, well, better safe than sorry. But the reality is that life has to go on, right? Like we we have to also find a balance here. And, and I feel like MWC is really so focused and concerned with the potential legal ramifications of what might ha- might happen mm-hmm. that they're pulling out right now. And also because, you know, obviously a lot of companies have been pulling out. So it's kind of a domino effect, right? But wow, yeah. I think this is a bit disappointing. I feel like they should have stuck with it. I think that it's a, you know, it's a rock and a hard place. I think on the one hand, yes, you're right that um, whilst obviously a serious issue, 
you know, regular flu has killed a whole lot more people so far this year. Exactly, than right. Coronavirus. And there are still people out there who have not had a flu shot. But at the same time, get you know, you could... Get your flu shot, people. Yes, go and get a flu shot. At the same time, you could argue that it maybe also makes sense to not pull together hundreds of thousands of people from around the world and encourage them to travel and bring them into sort of close contact with each other. Um, I, I know just, you know, that yeah. Once they had the initial cancellations of some of the big players, the scope and size reduced enough that the danger reduced as well. So um, why actually con- cancel a conference? You know, that's kind of how I feel about it. Possibly. I don't know. I feel like, it, it, I think it was always going to be an either or thing. I think that shrinking it down and kind of reducing it was never really going to to work. I, I, I think that this was, I think that once the first big companies started pulling out, I feel like we were always on this trajectory to them cancelling it. Yeah, and the it domino just, had started tipping. Yeah, and we were just I, watching everything unravel in slow motion at that yes, point, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll find out next week uh, on the show. Stay tuned for next mm-hmm. week's show where you'll know if I'm actually going to Barcelona or not, if my sponsor has pulled the plug or not. I hope not. I want my air miles, okay? Like, this is all about my status on my airline, okay? Uh, <laughs> God damn it. Um, other big news of the week, I'll, as we quickly wrap up, is T-Mobile Sprint merger being approved by uh, the a federal judge. So it's going to happen. There you go, folks. It is. And How do you feel about that, Chris? I, I honestly, I you know there are much cleverer people out there who know more about the business side of it. <clears> and, <throat> Sasha uh, Segan. <clears throat> y- yes. So I mean, you should definitely yes. go and read whatever Sasha has written about that. I feel like, as someone who uses T-Mobile, um, I myself am, included, I am looking forward to having better coverage in more yes. places. I'm looking forward to having the combined spectrum of Sprint and T-Mobile the for them to do the 5G. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I mean... Especially that mid-band that we all need for 5G, right? Absolutely. And so, I mean, I I am cautious about the potential for... You know, they have talked a lot about, um, you know, that, that this will not lead to higher prices, that there will still be... And customer service. Yes, and customer quality service. issues, right? That, yeah. I mean, T-Mobile is really good right now. Yeah, um, and, and I would like to think that that will... I think they believe that now, whether they will still believe that 12 months, 24 months down the line, and whether that's still what we're being delivered. I think we'll just have to wait and see on that one. Especially with the change of regime. John Ledger is leaving. Yeah. Um, and so I'm a look, that's my biggest concern. Honestly, I, I feel that in terms of spectrum and technologies, this is the right move. Um, but I feel that the concern is, of course, customer service and pricing. And uh, T-Mobile has led the way there for years. And I hope and believe they'll continue. The people that T- John Ledger assembled at T-Mobile uh, to run the show that are taking over are, I think, still very much on board on that. But you know how it is. Business is business. And sometimes things go wrong when competition is different. And l- we'll see what AT&T and Verizon, which are now the, the only competitors left, are going to do. So I'm cautiously optimistic as a T-Mobile customer, but I'm also a little apprehensive, I guess. Yeah, maybe it's because I'm British and cynical, but I, I think I always <laughs> felt that the... um. But that whole uncarrier putting the customer first thing was primarily because it was so easy because customer service on the other carriers was generally so bad that yeah. this was a really easy way to distinguish yourself. In and the also, you know, it's marketing, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And John Ledger is a genius at marketing. He is, yeah. you know, he is a very 
in, in, you know, he's the, the CEO's name of, of a carrier that you know. You know, uh, if you asked most people to name the CEOs of the other carriers, I feel like they would struggle to to name them. And so, yeah, they, they have done a really good job of making that kind of the, um, the USP. Um, For sure. But whether they then still need to do that when all of a sudden they are significantly larger. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, the cynic in me says I, there was going to be less of a requirement for them to do that. They'll get away with more. Absolutely. Um, well, last bit of news before we wrap up. MediaTek revealed, actually, this is older than a week, but I missed it last week. And I, I love me some MediaTek every now and then. Competition <laughs> is healthy. I love it my is. Qualcomm and MediaTek friends, uh, both. Um, Ryan, our friend Ryan at Android Police, one of my colleagues there, wrote a great story about the MediaTek chips. I'll link it in the show notes. Basically, MediaTek launched two mid-range smartphone gaming chips. So they're smartphone chip for the mid-range that are gaming optimized, kind of like the G90 chip they did last year, but this is cheaper. So G80 and, uh, you know, um, it's also G70, so G80, G70 below the G90. Uh, check it out. There's details on what is involved. These are not 5G chips, but they are going to be very popular in uh, markets that want very cost-effective chips that still pull a pretty solid punch in terms of mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like uh, you know gaming performance. So it's always good to have competition, and uh, I'll I'll basically leave you guys to do your homework. <laughs> it's always nice to be set some homework. I know, right? Listen, we should wrap up, Chris. This has been really great to have you on again. It's been a little while since I had you on last, but um, please tell the audience where they can find you on various social media channels and, of course, uh, Slash Gear. So you can find me at C underscore Davies on Twitter, um, where I tweet a lot about things. Uh, or you can find <laughs> me at SlashGear.com or at SlashGear on Twitter. These are the places, and I am the man. That's right. You are the man and you I should follow Chris because he is the man. All right, well, folks. That's... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know where to find me on the internet, folks. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L on Instagram and on Twitter. Instagram is where you'll find pretty pictures of phones and pretty pictures taken with phones. Once I get my hands on a Samsung S20 Ultra, you'll uh, you'll get those Galaxy 108 megapixel photos. So uh, check that out. Compressed wonderfully on Instagram, of course. Indeed, yeah. absolutely. Uh, also on Twitter is a good place for you to discuss the podcast with me. Uh, there's really no standardized way of commenting on podcasts. So I encourage you to go to your Twitter and rant and rave and talk to me and we will interact that way. There's also a YouTube channel, uh, Mobile Tech Podcast YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast. You can go there to see some uh, complimentary content, videos, uh, mostly unboxing hands-ons like I've got some hands-on videos of the Unpacked event from yesterday I also have a pair of Galaxy Buds Plus we didn't talk about them but they're basically a, an improvement over last year better battery life better sound that's basically all you have to know and I've got them so I'm going to unbox them for you all so just check that out the YouTube channel is a big deal you know extra content for the show finally if you stumble on this podcast and you want to subscribe you're wondering where is all that good stuff mobiletechpodcast.com has quick links where you can click and subscribe on your favorite platform we're on Google Podcasts Apple Podcasts Pocket Cast Spotify pretty much everywhere just look for Mobile Tech Podcast or my handle tanker ltnkgrl like the comic book character without the vowels and i want to thank our sponsor audible Audible audible.com is where it's at Uh, if you like audiobooks if you like to drive and listen to books or maybe you like to sit with your eyes closed and give them a rest from reading and listen to a great 
book, you can do that with Audible. They are the platform for audiobooks. You should check it out because if you do, there is a deal for you involved here. This is this is a two-way street. You get a deal and it supports the podcast. The deal is 30-day free trial. Everybody gets that, but you get to keep the books that you download during that period, even if you cancel. So there's a lots of really great opportunity here. You don't, you're not married to it. Try it out and it'll support the podcast no matter what. Audibletrial.com slash mobile tech is URL. Audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. I'll have it in the show description, show notes below. Try it out support us help us check out the books they're great the authors read the books that's my favorite thing and uh, i'm gonna about to binge on a massive star wars book adaptation of the of the recent movie so that should take about 20 hours of listening that should be good yeah so thanks to audible and uh, they've been along for the ride for a while so i appreciate them being on and then thanks again chris for being on the show much appreciated always a pleasure all right, folks, stay tuned. We'll have another show next week, and you'll find out if you stay tuned whether I'm actually going to MWC or not and <laughs> <laughs> what else happens in the crazy world of mobile tech. So stay tuned for that. And until then, cheers, everyone. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.